I am opening my Bible to the book of Hebrews once again, and I invite you to join me in opening yours to the same book of the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11. If you'd follow along, I'll begin reading verse 29. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 29. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Shall we pray? Lord God, blessed be thy name, blessed be your word to its hearers this morning. You told us your word will not return void, but it is powerful. It is sharp, divides even to the separation of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we pray this morning, bore your word into us, separate truth from error, and let us see truth. Let us grow the application of faith unto you, our God, and your promises, faithful all. We might join this crowd of witnesses about which we read here in the book of Hebrews the men and women of faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> faith that pleases God, we started last week, risks everything for God. A faith that pleases God is willing to risk everything for God, to be courageous, to be brave, is one thing in the physical realm, and certainly faith must work its way out in the physical realm. Decisions we make, actions we take, stands that we are willing to put up before those who would destroy the truth. And these people that are listed here were doing those things. They were not just believing God and saying, I believe God, and then going their merry way, but they were also following God and what God said. Going the direction God said, as all of Israel, in the plural, they, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea. It took the bravery and the courage of faith not only to follow God out of the land of Egypt, but to go the way he had determined for them, as we studied last week, to go through the middle of the sea, to ostensibly put themselves in a trap, if you were to look at it from man's point of view, not knowing God was going to open up an avenue of travel through the midst of the water 
and make it dry so that your feet don't get muddy. No muck boots required, but faith is required to take that step off the bank and walk through. And by faith they pass through the Red Sea as by dry land. Secondly, last week we looked at the courage and bravery of one who would risk all when we see that the entirety of the people of Israel risked defeat to fight God's way. Finally, crossing the Jordan, again on dry ground, they were confronted with the first fortified city they had ever faced, a walled city called Jericho, known to be basically impregnable. And yet God gave them a similar manner, a way of victory that was seemingly quite foolish. Just walk around, carrying the ark, blowing trumpets, six days once, seventh day, seven times, then give a shout, la, finito, done. <laughs> okay, line up. Here we go. That's faith. The world would say these walls cannot fall down. This is impossible. This is foolish. God is stronger. Today I want to go to this last one, and I'm very thankful that last week I was not able to get to Rahab, for she is, and I think deserves, to stand on her own. Well, that's exactly what she did. She stood on her own. She risked everything for God. She risked perishing for peace with God. Look at this, verse 31. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. There was a real risk here. Total perishing, being completely done away with. But she joined the believers when she had received the spies with peace. To not believe. The history is this. A people numbering close to a million people, at least historians tell us, left Egypt. They disobeyed God and would not go into the promised land, not believing God would defeat their enemies. They languished 40 years eating manna and learning to trust God for every mouthful they would take or the clothes they wore which did not wear out, their sandals which did not fall off their feet. For 40 years they wandered, and this was the case of provision day by day, being led by God. The idea was that when all those who had rebelled, who were of fighting age, all the men who wouldn't go up and fight died, God would then allow them to go up and see if they would go by faith again. 
Before crossing the Jordan, there was the Amorites. Some of you who are theologians or students of the Bible remember that in the Abrahamic covenant given in Genesis chapter 15, God had foretold the fate of Israel and their time in Egypt when he told Abraham that for 400 years your people will be in Egypt and they'll be greatly oppressed but they will come out a great people in number like the sands of the sea. And the reason they had to go there and stay there and not take the promised land for 400 years was this. That God's wrath against the Amorites was not yet complete. The Amorites were a terrible, awful, sinful people, and yet God gave them 400 years of grace, of mercy, before the final destruction that would come against them by the hand of his own people. Sometimes you say, how can, how can God be so mean as to make Israel go in there and kill all these people? He wasn't mean, he was just. But he was more than that, he was long-suffering in his justice, giving them 400 years of opportunity. That's the truth about God. God had said the Amorites get 400 years, and then you can take them. So two kings were destroyed of the Amorites, mighty kings, named again and again, one of whose name is Og. You know, if I was going to choose names for myself as king, I don't think it'd be Og, but I'm not an Amorite. Obviously, he was famous. So these two kings went down before Israel, and then they crossed the Jordan, and now they're in the true promised land. And they meet up with this city, Jericho. The falling down of the walls we studied yesterday. But interestingly, God doubles back and then inserts into his holy text, Rahab the harlot. And juxtaposes them with believers and non-believers. Rahab believed... And so she did not perish with those who did not believe. And it's such a poignant Greek word, this word not believe. It's apetheo. Apetheo in the Greek. And it means this. It means to not allow yourself to be persuaded. To not allow yourself to be persuaded. And that's the condition of most people in the world with regard to Jesus Christ and his truth. And that was the real condition of every other person in Jericho save one woman, Rahab. She 
was convinced. She was persuaded of truth and so stood with a believer. Some of you who are good with words and like putting them together may have already made the connection to the English word that we get from apatheo, which is apathetic. To be apathetic is to have no interest in the truth. In a sense, it's a way of fooling yourself with apathy. You can't persuade me, I shall do nothing different. You're apathetic, can't be moved. This woman comes out of a city filled with these kinds of people, and she was not apathetic. She risked, risked perishing, and she was a believer. But I ask you, in what? In what did she believe? If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, we're going to begin looking in chapter 2. Last week we were in chapter 6 and 7 and we saw the walls fall down and the belief of Israel in following God's will and way. And now we go back to meet up with Rahab. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, set, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Just stop there. This woman is always associated with her profession. This woman is not from what we would call the aristocracy of Jericho, not from the favored groups. She was in what many in history call the oldest profession, certainly the oldest profession for women of sin. There's no way around this word harlot. It's a woman who sold herself and had a house where that took place, and she took men into it. And two men came into this house, not to enjoy her profession, but to hide. But we must acknowledge that this is who she was. And why should we make a point of that? This is church, this is sanctified, this is holy. Do we, do we talk about these things that are distasteful to us? Wait a minute. These aren't my words. These are God's. We may not be afraid of our Bibles. God is not. God is not afraid to show us the reality of humanity so that we will see ourselves as we should ought. Rahab sold herself. And that is her profession. It is a difficult profession. It is a soul profession. 
numbing profession. It is a spiritually destructive profession. As even Paul says, do you not know when you're joined with a harlot, you become one with her? So every time this woman would be joined and then ripped apart. Why are harlots usually so hard and hardened? Because their life is hard. Because sin is hard. And this one especially. This is the woman in our text. Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho saying, stop there. Right now we have the lowest to the highest. The harlot who lives in the lower reaches of the city to the king and in the middle Two Hebrews, two Israelites spying out the city, in between a king and a harlot. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come out to search out all the country. Now this is the king. This is the sovereign one. This is the Lord. She lives by his grace. She's in the city by his leave. Meaning if he says, get out, you got to get out, which would mean to perish. The king has now sent to her, saying, Give me these men who have come to your house, and now I want you to see faith that risks everything. Then the woman took the two men, verse 4, and hid them. You know, I'm not the smartest guy, but I know what just happened here. The king said, Bring them out. And she disobeyed the king. Rather than bringing them out and exposing them to perishing, she risks perishing herself to protect them, and she hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. There were men <clears throat> where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, she says, for you may overtake them. So now she's not only rebelling, now she's deceiving. She's lying to the king and the king's men. And she's saying, oh, they're already gone. You better get after it. So it tells me this, she's a good liar. 
I don't know how much you have to practice to be good at lying to that much authority when the full weight and pressure of the king is upon you, but I'm saying it ain't going to be easy. You better practice. But then again, Rahab is a harlot. And I'm sure she lied to men all the time. It's part of the job. Verse 6, but she'd bought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. As soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. So before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. Wow. What did Rahab believe? Think about it. What did she have by way of revelation? Rahab have herself some sort of Bible? Is that what she had? No, she didn't have that. What did she have? She had the world in which she lived and the messages that had been brought and the reality of them all. Remember God said he was going to take Pharaoh and he was going to use him. He's going to harden his heart so that God himself would be glorified by that act. Little did we know, and little did Israel know, that while he was opening up the Red Sea for the Israelites to cross through on dry ground, and then he closed it back up on the chariots and the marching army of Egypt, drowning them all, that that message would shoot out across the world and make it to Jericho in preparation in preparation. How many years had gone by? Forte. They crossed the Red Sea before they rebelled 40 years ago, and people remember. That's the power of the message of God. That's the power of him acting in the earth. 
But even more so, the message of why God was doing that is somehow seeping out of this rebellious people Israel who wouldn't go in, didn't do the job, now finally getting after it, and a harlot speaks. What did she believe, I asked? She tells us, verse 9, and said to the men, I know. Here's what she knew. I know that the Lord has given you the land. Bada boom, bada bing. End of story. I know your God has given you the land. Why is it a problem today that no one else seems to be able to read their Bibles or know this message, even on the news stations and beyond? Don't they realize that Israel is Israel's because God gave it to them? And though they may have been in rebellion and for hundreds of years punished out of the land, God is going to give it to them again in the future in a magical way. And I say magical just because we get magic. It's supernatural. I wonder if we believe like Rahab the harlot. For that's the reason we should say Israel belongs in the land. Not because they deserve it, but because God gave them the land. Learn from this harlot Rahab. God has given you the land, and the terror of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Isn't that an encouraging message? If I was those two spies, I'm like, yeah, baby, this is going good. Not only that, everybody's scared. So I don't know about you, but if you're going to go into a fight, you want the guy afraid of you. I'm just saying. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Strike that. Secondly, what did she believe? Verse 11. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. Now here it is, listen. For the Lord, your God, he is what? God. Capital G. Is it because Rahab didn't have any little g gods, any idols? No, the place was full of idols. But she recognized that the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Isn't that something? That is her declaration of faith recorded for us here in the book of Joshua. She took God at his word, what she heard God had told them, though she wasn't there to hear it, she heard about it, she believes it, and she's passing it on back to the own people of God to encourage them and to save them, hiding them under some flax. Last week I'd printed this in the bulletin. I want to read a portion of this quote by a past thinker and pastor, Pastor Martin. And I quote, he says of Rahab, think what a moral mixture 
the human heart may hold. What a mass of contradictions it is. Rahab, loyal lover to her kindred, traitor to her king, gifted with insight above her fellow citizens, yet exposing herself to the scorn of man, possessed of a crude faith, yet selling her honor for gain, Surely the warp of heaven and the woof of hell were never woven together more strangely, he says. But going on, he says by way of corrective, surely there never was such a peculiar character thrown off from the loom of life. But no! But no, Pastor Martin says, such contradictions are common. And that may be one of the reasons why her name is left on record. How many men do you know who are perfectly simple moral, uh, perfectly simple moral character, who act from one motive, who are dominated by a single passion, he asks, whose conduct under given circumstances you can infallibly calculate? Rhetorically, we know to say to that, no one. He goes on to say, how many saints do you know who bear on them no traces of sin? How many sinners who show signs of nothing else? The best have their weak points, and the worst, listen, retain some features of good. This is Rahab the harlot. So important is her testimony to us that God would use James after the coming of Christ when he is teaching a book about real faith and what it looks like, he goes to Rahab. James chapter 2, listen to this. James says, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot? See, he didn't drop what she did and how she was known. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also, listen, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, James goes on to say, so faith without works is what? Dead also. How do we know that she had faith in the one true God? Because she protected the spies of God against her own people and her own king and risked her life to do it. What have we risked? Living faith takes actions. Our deeds do not save us. Faith, though, does work. 
And if you don't work out your faith in some actions that follow that faith, you have no faith, so says James. It's dead. She took this risk with her very life. And Rahab then received peace. This is even metaphorically not just with Israel, but with the God of Israel. In Hebrews 11.31, in the second part of this verse, it says, When she had received the spies with peace. If she was going to be a loyal citizen of Jericho, she would have turned them over to the state for punishment. For execution. But she lied and she deceived and she sent them out another way and she let these spies out. How could she do that? She did it, Joshua chapter 2, verse 12, for this reason. Now, therefore, she says to the spies, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord. See, she doesn't want their word on their own. She says, I want you to swear by the Lord, this true God. I beg you, swear by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house. And give me a true token. Listen now. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. You know, I would just really like to know the backstory of this gal's family, wouldn't you? Every family has at least one of these, and you know what they are? Black sheep. The rebellious one. Do you think, even in this ancient world, that what she was doing for a living was what her dad wanted her to do when she was born? What her mom wanted her to do? I mean, I don't know. It doesn't say. But it's never been a position to be sought after for advancement and to be seen as in the better classes of society. For it caters to the worst, even if they are in the higher echelons of society. But yet, look what she does. She tries to save her family. You know, you would think that she would be selfish. She'd just say, no, I'm getting myself out of this. My family doesn't like me. Don't talk to me. Okay, I got something for you. No, I don't know what it was, but I think it's profound because it's here that she wanted her family to be saved as well, and she was willing to risk not only for herself, but for her whole entire family. And that's a good reason to follow God, isn't it? Even against your family, even against your country, to believe God. And so the men answered her, verse 14, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. 
Then she let them down by a rope through a, the window from her house. Excuse me, for her house was on the city wall. By the way, you don't want to live on the city wall. You want to live in the center of the city, near the palace, near the power, the wall, no. She dwelt on the wall, and she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. Look at how she provides two forms of physical escape. You know, and oftentimes we've wondered, what was the flax that they were hiding on, uh, under, on, the, on the roof? What was that for? And we do know something of this history, the flax and those heavy fibrous portions of the flax plant can be used to weave baskets, for instance. But one of the things that it can be used to do is, is to be processed and put apart and the strands be woven into rope. They went to an industrious harlot's house wherein she also made, I believe, Ropes, because one has to say, where'd the rope come from? I know this historically, even from shipmaking, they liked hemp. For quite a while there, they used flax to make ropes, just so you know. And then she said, don't just run right straight back, hide in the mountains for three days. Obviously, she knew how this went, how long it would take them to run out of gas looking for her, and she gave them a good plan. And I just have to give them credit. They were smart enough to listen. So the men said to her, verse 17, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless, unless when we come to the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own house, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the streets, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. They obeyed her. She has to obey them, and there's a scarlet rope. There was a scarlet rope they could uh, refer to. That there, hang it out the window. It's not a thread, as some would say. I don't know about you, but if I'm attacking a city and most of the wall has fallen down, because some of you are thinking or saying, if her, wall, her house is on the wall and the wall fell down, how come she didn't die? All I can say is that part didn't fall down right away because of Rahab the harlot. And she hung this out the window. Some have called this the scarlet cord of faith. Do you want to be delivered? Then you've got to do this. You've got to hang this out your door or out your window, the same window we climbed down so we'll remember it, We'll know where it is. You have to do it God's way if you want to be delivered. 
Listen. We read these words too often without meaning. I want to give you two verses from John 3. Oh, let me give you three. Third one's for free. 315. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 36, he who believes in the son has everlasting life, and he who is apathetic, he who does not believe, the Son shall not see life, listen, but the wrath of God abides on him. Jericho was being visited by the wrath of God. Rahab hangs the scarlet cord out the window to save her life by faith. And so it is. And so it was. Joshua 6.22, But Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had, so that they, out of all her relatives, and left them outside the camp of Israel, but they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Deliverance. Here's a woman to be admired. I'm not saying we follow everything she's done because some people get in here and try and be highly theological. Well, isn't it wrong to lie? Isn't it wrong to deceive? Isn't it wrong to be treasonous? God said she had faith and she protected the spies and she was justified. That means counted just. No guilt. Just like you. You liars, you cheats, you mixed bag of life, and me as well. I was at a funeral yesterday. We're going to be at another one next Saturday, Lord willing. And someday it'll be mine. How will I be justified? By my perfection? Pastor Fred never lied. Well, that's a lie. What's wrong with theologians and people who read the Bible? Take faith for faith at where they have it. And let God decide who's justified. God thought so much of her, he put her in the book of Matthew. No, wait a minute. 
He did more than that. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the harlot. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christos, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the king, the son of Abraham, the chosen one of God. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, Judah begot Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. By the way, read about her. Perez begot Herzon. Herzon begot Ram. Ram begot Abinadab. Abinadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Now slow down. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Not only is she a person of faith, she is one of the great grandmothers of Jesus the Christ from the pagan city of Jericho, from the brothel on the wall, the harlot, a foreigner. Isn't it interesting that her son is named Boaz, whom the Moabitess would marry? Did God not know he was preparing the heart of a man to take in a foreign woman who would also be in the line of Christ? Because she was foreign and a harlot and could raise a young man who wasn't prejudiced against a woman like that. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David, and on it goes to Jesus the Christ. It seemed that just the life of Rahab was hanging by a red rope. But her whole life of her whole family was hanging by that rope. But all of our lives were hanging by that one red rope. Hung from a window by a woman of faith called Rahab the harlot. And that's how we're all delivered. From sin by faith in Christ alone. For without Rahab, there is no Christ. Without Christ, there is no scarlet cord of redemption for you, the blood of Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, says Peter, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, 
The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people like Rahab, like Ruth, who once were not a people, but now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. What will you hang out your window? What will the world see of your faith? Nazi Germany the Jews had to wear a star. How foolish of them for the star of David yet shines. And King David, his son Jesus the Christ will reign. I saw that we can wear a blue square box now if we want to support Israel. I'm looking for something better. I'm looking for God's people to do something. To tell of the scarlet cord that you hang on to. Your faith in the promises of Jesus Christ. That he is the Savior that he died on your behalf, that he came to seek and to save that which is lost, that those who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and I have seen the light, and it shines, and it glows through our faith, and all who hear of it have to make a choice. Apathy or faith. Obedience or disobedience? What's your choice? Let's pray. Praise you, O God, for your mercy. Bless you, Lord Jesus, for your grace unto us. For we are all sinners who have gone astray with none righteous here, yet we would trust in your promise to Abraham that in him all the world should be blessed and were blessed through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. We cling to that rope. And I pray for those who have not clung yet that they'd reach up and take it. They do something 
tell someone that's what they believed in, the one true God and Jesus Christ, his son, for their salvation, and then live it. May we who have been dangling on this rope for some years, Lord, be strengthened in our grip. We would not let go, but cling more soundly. For we await the trumpet call when the walls will fall down of the world and our victor and deliverer shall come open the door and bring us in. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.